Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Frisia Fiscal Third Quarter 2022 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. We will provide instructions for the question and answer session to follow. First, I would like to introduce Balaji Gandhi, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations for Frisia. Mr. Gandhi, you may begin. Thank you, Operator. Good morning and welcome to Frisia's earnings conference call for the fiscal third quarter of 2022, which ended on October 31st, 2021. Joining me on today's call are Frisia's Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder, Haim Indig, and Chief Financial Officer, Randy Rasmussen. A complete discussion of our results can be found in our earnings press release issued yesterday evening, as well as in our related Form 8K submission to the SEC including our quarterly stakeholder letter. These documents are available on the Investor Relations section of our website at ir.frisia.com. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded and a replay will be available following the conclusion of the call. During today's call, we will make forward-looking statements within the meaning of Section 27A of the Securities Act and Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act. Although we believe that the expectations reflected in these forward-looking statements are reasonable, these statements relate to future events or our future operational or financial performance and involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause our actual results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements expressed or implied by these forward-looking statements. Furthermore, actual results may differ materially from those described in the forward-looking statements and may be affected by a variety of risks and factors that are beyond our control, including, without limitation, statements about our future financial performance, including our revenue, cash flows, cost of revenue, and operating expenses, our anticipated growth, our predictions about our industry, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business, our ability to attract, retain, and cross-sell to healthcare provider clients, and our ability to realize the intended benefits of our acquisitions. These statements are also subject to other risks and uncertainties, including those more fully described in our filings with the SEC, including in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q that will be filed with the SEC later today. Forward-looking statements made on this call speak only as of the date on which these statements are made. We undertake no obligation to update and expressly disclaim the obligation to update any forward-looking statements to reflect events or circumstances after the date of this call or to reflect new information or the occurrence of unanticipated events, except as required by law. We will also refer to certain financial measures not in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles in order to provide additional information to investors. These non-GAAP measures should be considered in addition to, and not as a substitute for, or in isolation from our GAAP results. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP results may be found in our earnings release and stakeholder letter, which were furnished with our Form 8K filed after the market closed on December 8th with the SEC and may also be found on our investor relations website at ir.frisia.com. As a reminder, we are participating on today's call from three different locations and based on your feedback, we think the call will be more streamlined and efficient if I moderate the Q&A. I will now turn the call over to our CEO, Jaime Dick. Thanks, Kwamazi. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We just celebrated an important milestone in September as we surpassed over 100 million patient visits enabled by our platform during the previous 12 months. 
Every member of the Frieser team has contributed to this achievement, and I'd like to I would like to congratulate them on reaching this milestone. This is the latest in a long line of accomplishments celebrated over the past 16 years, achieved through the hard work and dedication of our current and former team members. We also thank our clients for entrusting us to create a better, more engaging healthcare experience. I hope everyone has had a chance to review our earnings press release and stakeholder letter. Operator, we can open up the call for QA. Logi. I am here. Operator? Yes, I'm here. Can we open up the call for Q&A? Yes, of course. Sorry, I had a technical difficulty here. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from John Ramson from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, obviously, the story has changed from a 20% top line to a higher top line, higher spending story. Um, you know, we figured you didn't raise all that money for nothing, but uh, maybe you could help the market understand how outside looking in to think about the returns and the timing on that uh, stepped-up investment. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, John. Uh, hey, oh, hey, John. Uh, I think Heim got cut off with the technical difficulties. Uh, did you hear the question, Heim? Nope. Not okay, at all. John, Sorry, John. John. You have to repeat yourself. Your, uh, it was really, it was really eloquent. I don't think I can top myself. Um, so I'll try it again, though. Uh, so obviously, the story has changed uh, from kind of a 20% top line story with margins in sight to something, you know double that top line growth, but with stepped up spending and, you know, EBITDA, negative EBITDA growing. So maybe we could help the market understand kind of your expectation on the timing and returns on that spending and kind of what led to this uh, shift in the uh, narrative. Thanks. Thanks, John. Sorry to make you repeat it. Um, um, so we are, okay. John, we're fortunate to have a leadership team that's worked together for over a decade. Some of us even longer. Evan and I go on way back to 2005. Each time we've made decisions around significantly increasing our investment, it's been a little scary. And this is very similar. Sometimes our investments were for a year or more out than our revenue and, frankly, with a much smaller cash balance at the time. But our decisions have always been based on data. When all you have, all of you have this data. Uh, you could, we've been public for 10 quarters. It's public stretching even further back. It reveals about how we invest and when we get it back and how we get it back. We're extremely pleased and excited about the returns we're getting on our investments, which is why we're accelerating them. We know it's not an easy discussion for a lot of you on this call, and it hasn't been an easy discussion for us internally either. We made hard decisions over the years and built trust and confidence with each passing inflection point. You know, for a lot of you that were investors with us in March and April in 2020, you trusted us 
to make those decisions based on the data we saw in real time then too. The data has never failed us and the, the decisions, as Balaji calls, have been directionally correct. And we look at this data on a weekly basis and we continuously course correct. And we do it with all of the trust and confidence of our team. And the great news for a lot of us now is we're not making a lot of these decisions with just a small set of data. We have a lot more data and a lot more firepower, especially on Randy's team. And Randy, who's been with us for over two years now, is, is a big part of that decision-making process. And I thought I'll let Randy speak a little to answer the rest of that. Yeah, thanks, Haim. I mean, as Haim said, you know, we look uh, weekly, monthly, uh, continuously at, at how our investments are performing and, and where we're going. I think we really focus on sustainable and profitable revenue growth. And as Haim said, we view our, cash, our capital as precious, and we look for efficiencies in our investments. Uh, the SDR program is a good example of this, where we bring in leads at a cost-effective way so that we can pump that engine that grows the top line. So we think very carefully about how we spend this money and make sure that that results in profitable and sustainable growth in future years. So um, just as a follow-up, uh, is a simple way to think about it, uh, let's say you spend $100 at time zero uh, a year out, maybe that $100 generates $100 of incremental revenue um, at your sort of average gross margin. I, I, I know that's oversimplified, but I think the public market needs some kind of quantitative hook to think about this. Yes, I, I think from the perspective of the spending that you see now is is for future growth. The um, you know the revenue numbers that we are putting up this quarter are based on those investments that we made a year ago, and so you know the timeframes I think can range from you know one to three years depending on the type of spend. The sales spend uh, comes in a little bit sooner, but some of the R&D spend has, has a longer term time frame as we build out our products and, and provide excellent solutions to our customers. Thank you, I'll get back in the queue. Your next question comes from Anne Samuel from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi guys, um, thanks for taking the question. I was hoping maybe you could help us understand some of the inputs that went into the guide, you know, the 20 to 25% for next year, you know, headwinds and tailwinds that you're considering. Um, just, you know, in light of the performance that you put up this year and, and you know, the, the investments that you're making. Yeah, so I think the way that we look at, um, you know, guidance for um, future years, the, the 20 to 25% is our long-term outlook. You know, we, we are playing the long game in this business and, um, that's that's what's important for us to focus. I think there will be quarters and periods of time where we will grow faster than that 20 to 25%, but there could also be periods of time where um, that declines uh, from that, that higher level. So um, we're playing the long game here and, and really are looking for that long-term uh, sustainable and profitable growth. That's helpful. And then, you know, on the um, you had really nice growth in your provider clients uh, this quarter. Was hoping maybe you could talk about some of the factors that are driving that. You know, are labor shortages playing into that, and are, are you considering you know maybe that as a tailwind for next year as well? So I think 
Andy, I think one of the things that we've seen is that uh, our people have gotten in front of a massive labor shortage uh, issue for our, cl for our clients and prospects. We've seen a ton of land and expand. I think our increased offerings have also played a part in winning a lot of those clients, and a lot of that's been the, been the back of increased R&D investment. So we feel pretty good about you know, being able to get out in front of a lot of clients, get them a solution, build their trust, show them a huge ROI, and then continuously expand. Randy, what do you call like Randy's team has a name for it, which I, I always mess up. Yes, I think as we sell more solutions into a client, we refer to that as density. So we want high levels of density as the client adopts our solutions. And then intensity is important. We want our clients to expand across their locations or even within a location, we want the providers to use more of the products that they have already uh, licensed from us. So, um, you know, that density and intensity are real key drivers to our growth strategy and expanding our footprint in our existing customer base. Maybe just a follow-up on that. As we think about, like, the, the 20 to 25% revenue growth for next year, how much of that is increasing your density versus adding new clients? It's, it's both. You know, I, I think that we are focused equally on both. This last year, we've, we've invested a lot in our uh, customer success group, and they're, they're the ones that are primarily focused on the expands, and they've been doing really well. We've, we've seen a lot of success with that. So um, that's really important. But the new logos are also important because as we add new provider clients, that also increases our network and gives us more opportunity to attach payments and deliver digital engagements from our life science business. So we, we view them both as, as equally important. Great. Thanks so much, guys. Your next question comes from Ryan Daniels from William Blair. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. This is Jared Hassan for Ryan. Thanks for taking the question. Um, wanted to ask a similar question just on the, the outlook going forward here, but focusing more on the adjusted EBITDA line and, and understanding that um, in the end of a very March, you're not, you're not giving a formal number yet for 2023. Um, but just you know, curious, you know, if I look at the implied Q4 guidance that points to around a loss of you know, around $35 million for fiscal 22, you know, is it fair to think of that as a good exit run rate for next year? Um, kind of on an annualized basis, or would there be any sort of context we'd be missing with that framework? And then similarly, is there any color you can share just around sort of the magnitude uh, of the expected cadence in terms of the OPEX ramp next year? Thanks. Yeah, uh, Jared, thanks. Uh, this is Bellagio. Let me sort of replay that and set it up, and then uh, maybe Randy can pick it up. But um, obviously, you know, we want to be careful here. We're not providing guidance for fiscal 23. Um, and, and one of the reasons, as, as we did last year, one of the reasons we're providing some kind of, you know, framework and starting point for fiscal 23 in December um, is because there's probably, what, four, three, three to four months before we talk to you all again in this sort of format, um, and we don't want to wait that long. So so that's, that's sort of the revenue guidance. Um, and in terms of the EBITDA, uh, we thought it was important, especially based on some of the feedback from, from last quarter when we, you know, we did ramp up spending to um, provide guidance for the fourth quarter. Um, and I think you're just going to have to wait, but I think the comments in the letter and, you know, certainly suggest that it's not going to be um, pulling back. 
And when we say accelerating, maybe just so we're clear, um, we, we don't mean accelerating as a percentage. We just mean accelerating as a dollar amount. And so maybe, Randy, if you if you wanted to add anything to that, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Blasi, I, I agree. You know, I think we're not prepared to um, – well, we're, we're, I guess it's not – the timing isn't right for us to talk about uh, adjusted EBITDA guidance for um, fiscal 23. But, you know, as – as we talked about before, I mean, we've had a history of, of, of profitability and made a conscious decision to increase our investment levels to, to get that sustainable growth. I think as you as we've hired, uh, you also start to see, uh, you know, some of the hiring that we did in, in Q3 was done near the end of the quarter. Um, so you know, that's where the guidance for Q4 comes in, where the, the numbers increase. So as Balaji said, the the plan is to continue with this investment cycle. Okay, fair enough, and I appreciate the comments there. Um, and, and just wanted to, for a quick follow-up, wanted to turn to a different theme here. Um, you, you announced an acquisition of Insignia Health. So would love to just get a little bit of color here on the background. It sounds like from the prepared remarks, this was a, a company that you had some familiarity with. So just curious if you could talk a little bit, um, you know, just, just the, the sort of genesis of that deal, um, you know, is this an asset that, that's embedded in a lot of your clients? And, um, you know, just curious, what, what exactly you're seeing in the market that made you want to add this capability? Thanks. All right, I'll, uh, I'll lead off and I'll let, uh, I think I'll let Bellagio add something at the end. So we're really, really excited to bring this to our clients. We have, we have some overlap in our clients, but we believe that um, it will add tremendous value uh, to a lot of our clients and prospects, and we're really excited. We've known about this organization and the PAM score for years. It's mission-oriented. It's rooted in decades of academic research. Uh, Dr. Hibbert is the lead author of the patient activation measure. She's joined Freesia uh, as an advisor, and it's increasingly relevant to value-based programs. Uh, Insignia works with some of the most incredible organizations, including uh, our own government and the government of the United Kingdom. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. Um, and we think that activate is a core clinical measure that helps change the output and the outcomes for, for patients. And, and our practices are continuously looking at tools to be able to improve outcomes. We think this is the gold standard. And we're really, really excited to have this as part of our arsenal. Elijah, you want to add to that? Um, I mean, I think Kime covered a lot of it. I think um, when you just think about Freesia's core strengths, um, you know, we're, we're very good at putting tools in the hands of patients um, because we, we believe all patients want the opportunity to participate in their own care. And uh, our commitment is to, to driving high rates of self-utilization um, and, and has made us experts, really, in, in doing that um, and reaching a vast majority of patients. You, you saw we're, we hit the 100 million mark. So when you think about those core strengths that, that Freesia has and our mission of, of driving a better patient experience, um, we think we're a, we're a very attractive home for, for a company like Insignia and the PAM uh, measure. And so we were, we were thrilled that they, um, they, they uh, agreed. Got it. Makes sense. And thanks again for the color. Your next question comes from Richard Close from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. 
Yeah, great. Thanks for the uh, question. Congratulations. Um, one question here with a follow-up, uh, but first I want to dive on the life sciences, obviously outperforming versus expectations. Um, can you provide some momentum on that um, division or business? Is that just simply the growth in the client base um, over the last, you know, several years or is there something, you know, uh, related to the shift in marketing initiatives with Farba that's driving the outsized growth? Uh, Richard, this is, you know, I appreciate you bringing this up. This is a good example of us using information, data, trusting ourselves and our team. And we saw our volume, which I think everyone can now see, more than double since we IPO'd. Right, And because of the investments we proactively continuously made in data science, we were able to better monetize that investment for all of our stakeholders. And so that, we think this is a huge TAM. It's, I think we've been pretty clear. It's a eight, $900 million TAM. And based on the investments that we started to make, we thought we could gather and capture more of that available market and that investment has paid off and we'll continue to make those kind of investments really based on data and the knowledge that we have on how to interpret the information and make the right decisions. And that's, okay, I that's think, helpful. the benefit of having a very seasoned team who's seen many cycles. Okay, that's uh, helpful. And then just to go back to the acquisition, can you go into a little bit more details where that sits in the workflow? Is that something where the patients are continuously engaging um, with the offering? Is it like pre-visit, post-visit? You know, maybe a little bit more details on that front. Sure. Uh, yeah. Tom, you want me to go ahead, start go on that? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, yeah, Richard. Uh, so. I mean, the, the company Insignia, um, currently the customer set is in the payer space, in the life scientist space, and in the care delivery space. So um, when you think about, you know, um, those three delivery settings, you have very different orientations. But ultimately, it's a patient-reported outcome measure. So the questions are asked to a patient. They, they, they answer those questions. Um, and today, I mean, you know, we're obviously just – just completed the transaction last week, but you know, t today Insignia um, pushes um, those questions out in different ways to the patient directly, um, and we'll sort of, you know, as we get work with them more closely, figure out, you know, how that might intersect with with how Freeja interacts with patients. But um, you know, that's that's sort of the way to think about it. And there's there's different care care management platforms that they integrate with. Obviously, you know, uh, EHR PM systems that they integrate with. So there's a lot of commonalities with Freesia, but that's that's sort of the, the way to think about it. It's pushed out to a patient, those questions get answered, and then you know the the information is used to help um, to to drive outcomes. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from Glenn Santangelo from Jeffries. Please go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, Hyman, Randy, I, I, I hate to do it, but I did want to follow up on this investment spending. Uh, it seems like a lot of where the, where the incremental spending came in was more on sales and marketing versus R&D. 
And when we look at the headcount of the company, the number of employees has more than doubled over the past 12 months. And so I guess what investors are really trying to figure out is, you know, how much more do you have to invest in, you know, when, in particular when, when you look at the guidance, you know, for, for next year, I think investors are kind of nervous that it feels like the company is spending, you know, incremental dollars to chase fewer revenue dollars. And so maybe you could help us think about, you know, where the company is today from a headcount perspective, what else you, you maybe think you need, uh, and, and, and kind of give people a sense for how much more there is to go. And, and then uh, I, I had a follow-up question on the acute care market. Yeah, I think I think Randy can can start with that answer. Glenn, I can just tell you one one answer to, to the headcount. Uh, at the end of October, we had 1,490 people, and obviously, you know, given our comments about the fourth quarter, we continue to hire, so we're north of 1,490 today. But but maybe Randy can um, cover some of other uh, Glenn's questions. Yeah, I think when when we think about how do we look at what our headcount needs are and how does that seed growth, we look at data on a weekly basis, what kind of lead generation is the SDR team producing? Um, what do our provider sales teams, what are their close rates? Uh, we, we look at this on a weekly basis and, and make adjustments. I think from the perspective of, you know, when when is it enough? I think as we continue to grow, as long as that investment continues to to provide this sustainable and um, profitable growth in the future periods, we would we would continue to invest. I think this last clip was a very large um, increase in in headcount. Um, you know, I don't think that um, you know we, we're very thoughtful about capital. You know, capital is precious to us and we understand from an investor perspective that they want us to use those dollars uh, to grow the company. And we, we think about that as we look at this data on a weekly basis and make decisions about, you know, what are the next hiring plans in the coming month and the coming quarter and throughout next year. All right. Maybe if I could just sort of follow up on that, that sort of segues into my acute care question. The lead generations that you're talking about, are they more on the – physician side or on the acute care side? Because we've been getting, you know, some questions uh, around the transition to the acute care market, how it's going. You know, in, in the past, you've disclosed, you know, a, a relationship with R1. Um, and so maybe if you can just sort of comment how that transition's going and where, where the lead generations are coming from, that would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, so I'll pick this one up. The, um, you know, I think we've, we've commented you know, for the past, I don't know how many quarters, that we always sort of lead with the ambulatory side, and then we try to pick up uh, their acute hospitals after we've built the reputation that we have on the ambulatory side. And that continues to be the strategy, and it continues to execute very, very well. Really part of the land and expand strategy. We are very, very good at providing a holistic solution across the entire spectrum of the health system. And we don't announce most deals, but we continue to, be, continue to feel really good about the returns we're getting and the long-term outlook of continue to, continually investing in the hospital market and all the ancillary services surrounding it as much as we are investing into the ambulatory market. We think they're very uh, complementary, but we tend to 
always lead with ambulatory first at the client. And okay, I, thank I you. Got a question on R1. Did you R1? Still yeah, yeah, I did have a question on R1 sure. in particular because. Yeah, sorry, Balaji, I, I did have a question on R1 in particular, right? Because you've disclosed that relationship in the past, and they, they've made an acquisition in early 2020. That seems like it's a little bit competitive with with sort of what you're doing, and so I was just wondering if you could provide any update uh, as far as that's concerned. No, I think that they they're still a valued client and partner and we look forward to continuing that relationship and uh, I think we have lots of partners and clients that also use and have other competitive things and we're comfortable with that it's a huge market and what we tend to do really we tend to do really well with our product we're a product led you know and so when customers want or need our our full our full solution and or the vision of that we do really well and we appreciate the partnership and relationship with R1. Okay, thank you. Hey, your next question comes from Joseph Fruvink. Please go ahead. Uh, great. Hi, everyone. Um, you know, just going back to the sales and SDR investments, can you maybe discuss the productivity of the new hire cohort and how this compares? to the expectation you might have had when embarking on the accelerated investment strategy. Obviously, the team is quite a bit larger, but I imagine also younger in tenure. So is there better sales efficiency to still come and, and we can expect as these new hires go through a regular productivity ramp? I, You know, from a productivity standpoint, I think we're – fairly comfortable with where they are and we're always looking for more and better productivity. I know I've been on calls continuously where um, Karen and uh, the team have, have done phenomenal work at being able to continuously just improve productivity and the and the success of that team. And you know we're we're always we always look at that and that's how we've gotten to where we are and improved the business. But uh, we're really happy with how that SCR organization has grown and, and frankly, maintained the success that it's had. Okay, great. Um, and then um, it, it, just to kind of going back to your, your growth uh, framework, is it fair to think that, it, uh, of course, if Frisia is executing a year following one with accelerated investment spending, should typically track above the company's long-term growth framework. Can, can you repeat that one? Uh, I'm not sure I followed it. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, the the 20 to 25% growth, I appreciate that's kind of a marker and it aligns with your long-term growth framework. Uh, but we're also in the midst of seeing accelerated investment this year, and that's going to continue into next year. So, I suppose all else equal, do you think it's a fair expectation to think that following that type of investment environment, growth should typically track kind of above above long-term targets as opposed to in line with long-term targets? I mean, I, I think without speaking specifically to next year, I think, you know, it's not necessarily this year's investments are, are, are impact next year directly. I think it's probably maybe, Randy, it's worth repeating, I think, an earlier question on this topic. 
around around how we think about longer term growth. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think you know, as we said, I think the the long term, you know, sustainable, profitable growth of the twenty to twenty five percent, there there are there will be periods where we will outperform that long term goal. And I think um you know, and that's that's what we want, right? You know, I, I think we like to grow. You know, I think it, it's it's good growth. It's it's profitable growth. So, um, yeah, from from that perspective, I, I I don't think we can really get into what the guidance is for next year, the the spend levels, but um, yeah, I, I think we continue to in, invest with that that strong growth in mind. Uh, great, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Ryan McDonald from NEM. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, hi, uh, just an additional question on Insignia. A uh, really interesting acquisition and technology there with the patient activation measure. Just thinking about how, would like to know a little more color and how you're thinking about the go-to-market strategy there. You know, there's, I think, interesting use cases on, on value-based care models for your, for your practices. Um, there's obviously potential benefit on the life sciences side and sort of that additional information on, on patient and, and sort of utilization. Just curious how you're thinking about sort of the prioritizing the, the go-to-market there uh, as you integrate that that acquisition. Um, we we generally don't talk about what we're going to do. Um, it's, that hasn't changed and it won't change. Uh, but as, as we start uh, moving it into our product offering and making it available, I'm sure, it will become noticeable. We are really excited about having this founder-led organization here. Um, and I'm going to you know, sort of refer back to Balaji's thesis. I think there's a lot you can unpack from it, but we think this is a, a core measure uh, potentially in the long term. Got it, got it. Okay, and then, and then just to follow up, in terms of the life sciences opportunity, you know, continuing to see great uh, growth rates there. Just curious, obviously we're seeing a, a shift uh, materially to digital spend uh, from life sciences companies. Can you talk about sort of the magnitude of the impact that that's obviously having on on the growth in the business? And and you know, as you look at sort of your customers right now, you know, can you talk generally about sort of percent of spend that that is starting to shift over to digital and and how you might be able to gap capture more share of that over time? Thanks. Well, the the way we've been able to capture and grow extensively is you know we knew based on our information and our data and having a very senior and tenured team on running that, we knew where we needed to make those investments. And we started ramping up those investments a couple of years ago. And so to us, the shift, you could usually see the shift happening way before it's happening based on the information that is available. And we, we as an organization, we pride ourselves on making decisions around spending, around product investment, around resourcing, all around data and the experience we have in understanding that data. And we think there's a there's continued opportunity for us to, to grow in life sciences. And I think we've been articulating that we will continue to invest in that area. And we're fortunate to have a team. And they've just executed brilliantly. Uh, understanding that, you know, we have a competitive advantage in being able to see what's happening in the market. 
today. And your next question comes from Donald Hooker from KeyBank. Please go ahead. Uh, great, thank you. And this maybe dovetails and fills out some prior questions as well. Obviously, a great number of provider clients added in the quarter. Uh, I'm, you know, you guys, I always think of you adding clients and then revenues follow from that, uh, not just out of the gate, but from that. I'm just wondering if that that dynamic of land and expand has any way changed. Um, um, are, are clients adopting more solutions out of the gate or is it sort of a similar pattern that we should expect from the past in terms of adding clients and landing and expanding? Randy, you want to you you go for it? Yeah, so I, I think to answer your question, no, our thesis hasn't changed. We still are very successful with the, the land and expand um, strategy. It's important for us to grow across the customer base. Uh, I think also, you know, we think about networks and uh, the more provider clients that we have, it gives us more opportunity to deliver uh, digital engagements. Um, you know, for, and and there's certain things that can get adopted right away. So, you know, for a customer that takes payments, that typically is sometimes the first dollar of revenue that comes in, but it may take a while for a provider to switch over to our payment solution with their volumes and and uh, basically burn down uh, their previous. Um, payment provider, um, but we do see lots of interest in our new products. Um, you know, I think the, the texting solution is interesting that we highlighted in the, the quarterly stakeholder letter. Um, so we do see high levels of adoption of, of additional products. Great. And then a quick follow-up, um, you know, again, a, a strong provider client ad count in the quarter. Can you update us on terms of your, I mean, how, sort of your capacity in terms of adding clients successfully um, and update us on terms of like how many clients are being implemented remotely versus on site. Is there any kind of changes there? How do you feel about that? Thank you. Hi, you want to, you want to talk about that? Yeah, that, I think one of the reasons why we feel pretty comfortable about these client ads is, well, first off, they're clients, like they're already live um, using us, paying us, uh, more often than not running transactions through us. And a lot of our ability to be able to take them live, uh, mostly remotely, has been because of the investments that we've made based on the information that we've seen. So we've tried to get ahead as far as possible on being able to staff and support. So we, we continue to have just phenomenal levels of support and have speed of implementation. And a lot of that is based on the information that we see. So we've really ramped up the teams continuously in sales, implementation, customer success, and those teams have just done a phenomenal job at being able to support those new and expanding clients. Thank you. Your next question comes from Scott Schunov from Stephens. Please go ahead. Hey, team. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I just wanted to follow up on the land and expand uh, strategy and the density and really just get into some um, statistics here that you guys had offered in the past. I think you at one point mentioned you had 27 modules. I'm sure it's increased since then and that the average client has about half that or 13 modules. Is there any update to that stat? I think that could provide more uh, color on, you know, the opportunity there to expand on the revenue provider client. Hey, Scott. Um, 
you know, one of the things you can refer to um, in our slide presentation and in the letter is just we, we tend to update every quarter the, the platform slide. Um, so you can see, you know, how that's changed over time and, and what's been added. And, um, and you know, think things are evolving, uh, obviously, as we, as we do new releases, et cetera. So, uh, you know, we can follow up with you on that. But I would, I would point you there. Um, you know, I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about in terms of, you know, what's, what's been going on in our product organization. Yeah, from a product standpoint, the investments we've been making in product have been paying off people. They add a phenomenal amount of value, and we try to get it in the hands of the right clients at the right times. And the more product products we get our clients, the more value we provide them, and the happier they are. And I think some of you continue to do channel checks, and as we've grown tremendously, our clients have remained not only happy, but continuously pleased that we're able to add more and more value to them on their journey to support their patients. So we feel very good about um, our continued investment in product to get them in the hands of our patients, uh, in, in the hands of their patients and our providers that we support. Great, thanks. And just as a follow-up, I wanted to kind of drift, drive in deeper on the uh, new employees and, and the uh, hiring and the sales and marketing team. Are you seeing anything, I hate to use the word transitory, but are you seeing anything that's happening given the late, tight label market now that would uh, lead you to believe that, uh, you know, these elevated expenses could, part of it could be more transitory and, um, you know, be less challenged in 12 months from now when the labor market changes? Just any additional color there would be helpful. Thanks. Well, I think what we've found, and uh, Amy, who's you know led our HR organization for ten years and has seen multiple cycles, at, has talked a lot about internally. Is we've really seen a competitive en environment where we have to get out in front to make sure that we are um, continuously uh, examining our our. Um, entire package to make sure that we are uh, the, the employer of choice for both our current and future team members. And it's been, uh, it's, you know, frankly, the compensation aspect of that has been uh, growing at a faster rate than I probably would have predicted two years ago. But we've, we've really maintained uh, sort of in front of that so that we can continuously attract and retain phenomenal individuals to our organization. And great people generally um, are worth their weight in gold. And we've continuously found that. And we think we have just a phenomenal group of people here at Freesia. And your next question comes from Danielle Grosslight from City. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, most of my, uh, my questions have uh, already been answered, but maybe if we can dig a little deeper into the 4Q EBITDA guide, uh, which implies around a $17 million increase in, in operating expenses sequentially. If I look at 3Q and the sequential increase in, in spend, it looks like most of it is coming from that sales and marketing line followed by R&D. As we think about 4Q and beyond, should we think about the investments you're making as the kind of same in terms of proportional to uh, S&M and uh, R&D, or do you think 
we'll see some catch up in, in R&D um, and a little less acceleration in the sales and marketing line. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think directionally, you know, all the lines will grow. Um, you know, R&D is one of the areas where there is focus on investment. So I think uh, you will see increased investment there. It's really those two areas that we continue to focus on because those are really the things that contribute to that, um, you know, sustainable growth on, on the top line. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's similar to when I talk about, you know, revenue from quarter to quarter. I think hiring can also have patterns, too, as um, we look for the best talent to add to our company. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to find some of the, the right talent in the engineering area. So you will see some variability uh, quarter to quarter as, as we are building those teams. Okay, but would it be right to say that on a dollar basis, the increase in R&D spend in 4Q is going to be greater than the increase in sales and marketing spend in uh, from 3Q to 4Q? Yeah, I mean, I think on the perspective, we don't really, you know, provide detail of that guidance on a, on a line item level. They both, you know, directionally are, um, you know, being invested in, so um, they, they both will go up. Yeah, gotcha. And then as a follow-up on the uh, Insignia transaction, you know, Balaji made an interesting comment that it, um, you know, is used not just by by kind of providers and life sciences, but also payers, which would be a new market for you guys. So I'm curious, and obviously they have a, a, a very strong relationship with the CMS and the NHS. So I'm, very, I'm curious on how this may open up new markets for you, i.e. the payer market, and if there's a kind of concerted strategy there to have this be a, a beachhead and expand your TAM even further? I think we've been thinking about this market for years, um, and it's, I, we believe, sort of the, the relationship between payers, providers, and life sciences continues to be blurred, and we are very uh, excited to have capabilities that, and the, the, the team that we bring with us to help complement a lot of the investments we've been making. Uh, and we think the Insignia, organi- that, that team is something we've been thinking about for years. And uh, we're really excited. Got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Daniel. And uh, Operator, I think we're, we're a couple minutes beyond uh, 9.30 here, so we should probably uh, wrap up the call. Haim, do you have any closing uh, remarks you want to make? No, I just want to thank everyone, our clients, our, our our investors, our employees, uh, for trusting us to continue to improve the healthcare uh, system, and uh, we think we are heads down as we can as we do that. And we're really excited about what lays ahead. I haven't been more excited uh, about what we're doing. In this is it's amazing, but we're very pumped over here at Free Show. And this concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you.